You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. It's great to hear the, the buzz of conversation and uh, just encourage you after the service to use this as an opportunity to connect with others, maybe encourage people, pray for people, uh, welcome those who are maybe new. Uh, if you are new, maybe you haven't seen me, uh, my name is Michael McKittrick. I've been a part of the, the Vine kind of staff for about three years, but being sent out to help start Eastside Church with a group of people. So we've been about every other week here this summer as we're preparing to launch uh, in the fall. And so it's good to be back together with you this morning. Um, see so many friendly faces, worship the same God together, and excited to be continuing our series in the Gospel of Matthew. And we've been in this section called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a, a section of Jesus' teaching where he's really laying out his vision for what his people are called to be, who they are and how they are to act in the world. And really it's a vision of his people being, on the one hand, different from the world, salty, and at the same time being a light into the world. To bring blessing, to bring the, the light of Christ into the world. But he's also been talking recently about how there's a danger to trying to be different, not out of seeing God honored, but out of getting attention for ourselves. It's the danger of hypocrisy. It's the danger of play acting to look good instead of actually having a heart that actually loves God. And through that, it you know, Jesus has been talking about how his people are to pray and how they are to give and how they are to fast. But the thread running through all of it is the question of what is your motive? What drives what you do? What are you living for? And Jesus is going to continue to press deep into this, this morning, this question of what drives our lives. And I think that's really important because oftentimes in the busyness of life, we just go about our days, and we don't either take time to slow down and really evaluate, or maybe we're blind either intentionally or unintentionally to what is actually motivating us, to what actually drives our lives. And it's important to ask this because whatever drives your life shapes how you live. And Jesus sees this connection, so he wants us to wrestle with it. Because the thing is, all through this section in Matthew 6, he's been saying it's not that desiring something is bad. It's desiring the wrong thing that's bad. It's not that we have desires to live for something that's off, but that we're so often easily satisfied with cheap desires. C.S. Lewis, a British Christian back in the day, once wrote that God finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are like a child content to make mud pies in a puddle by our front door when God is offering a vacation at the sea. And so Jesus wants us this morning to lean in and listen and really evaluate what is it that we're treasuring? What is it that we're living for? Do we actually treasure the right thing? And Jesus is particularly going to put his finger on this This one particular false treasure that I think our American culture has perfected, and that's the treasure of living for material things that don't last. And so let me pray for us and ask that God would really help us this morning 
to have eyes to see, to have ears to hear, and the Holy Spirit would help us see what's at the center of our lives so we can determine whether we're actually living for what's truly good. So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you not only made us and sustain us, but you love us enough to speak into our lives. Your word comes and points us to what's good and true and beautiful. And you do this even though many times our ears are closed. And so I pray that this morning that you would open our ears, that we, we would really lean in and listen And you would help us to have our lives orbit around that which is good and true and right. Help me now to speak only your words for your glory and our good. Amen. Well, let me continue in the Sermon on the Mount reading Matthew 6 starting at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Well, Jesus' teaching here, I think, breaks down to kind of three moves. And the first is a series of commands, one negative, one positive, found in verses 19 to 20, where where Jesus starts by saying, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He's saying, look, I'm giving you a command, but it's really an invitation to choose. What do you want to treasure? What do you really want to treasure? Don't treasure, he says first, the things of this earth. And now that can particularly be be money and the things that come with it, but I I think treasure can be also a bigger category than that. I I think actually of a a line from the Pirates of the Caribbean, an older movie, but Orlando Bloom is characters with Jack Sparrow, and they're off to, to rescue the girl. And uh, Jack Sparrow looks at him and says, you're in trouble. You're getting close to becoming a pirate. You've commandeered a ship. You've taken up with a pirate crew, and you're desperately in love with treasure. And Orlando Bloom looks at him and says, I don't care about gold or silver. And Jack Sparrow looks at him and says, not all treasure is silver or gold, mate. Not all treasure is silver or gold. There can be all kinds of things that we treasure. It could be relationships. It could be desiring that people think well of us. It could be just climbing the corporate ladder. It could be having a certain style of life and comfort and vacations or having the newest tech. All kinds of things we can treasure. Now, I want to be really clear here. Christianity does not say the things of earth are bad. That's a distortion. Everything God made, Scripture says, is good and worthy to be received with thanksgiving. What's wrong, says Jesus, if you look closely at verse 19, is to lay them up for ourselves as this treasure. It's not receiving them, it's not enjoying them, but it's laying them up for ourselves that's the problem. They're not worth storing up. And that's particularly, Jesus says in verse 19, because they don't last. 
Moth and rust destroy them. Thieves break in and steal. All these treasures do not last. If you love having a new car, as soon as you drive off the lot, its value drops. And then it gets scratched. And then it gets you in an accident. Or it eventually rusts away and you trade it away for nothing. You, you love maybe having new tech and you live for that. And you get the new iPhone one week and then... You know, six months later, it's like, man, this is old and a piece of garbage. You got to get the newest phone, right? The, there's always new, and, and it's, you're never satisfied. In Ecclesiastes, there's a whole book of the Bible that's all built around this. This idea that we can enjoy the good things of earth, but if we make them ultimate, if we try to treasure them and store them up, they're meaningless because they don't last. They disappoint. They do not satisfy See, Jesus isn't here calling us away from good treasures. He's actually trying to point out that the things we're tempted to make treasure are actually worthless. And that we would be fools to treasure them up. Why would you treasure up something that will not last? They don't satisfy. The things you love will end up one day in a yard sale or on the curb or rotting away. Why would you live for them? And actually, uh, John Mayer, a really good guitar player, has a song called Something's Amiss, where he, he tackles this, this sense of how they, these things don't last. And in his song, he writes these words. I'm not alone. I wish I was, because then I'd know I was down, because I couldn't find a friend to love me like they do right now. I'm dizzy from the shopping mall. I searched for joy, but I bought it all. It doesn't help the hunger pains, and a thirst I'd have to drown first ever satiate. Something's missing, and I don't know how to fix it. Something's missing, and I don't know what it is. And at the end of the song, he says, friends, check. Money, check. Well-slept, check. Opposite sex, check. Guitar, check. Microphone, check. Messages waiting for me when I come home, check. How come everything I think I need always comes with batteries? What do you think it means? What do you think it means? He's asking the right question. He's asking a question because our whole culture is built on this idea that somehow if we store up enough earthly treasures, we'll be happy. That's the whole advertising industry. It's our whole economy. Buy more. Buy, buy, buy. Maybe the next thing will satisfy. More stuff. New stuff. Better stuff. And it doesn't lead anywhere good. Because there's always more and more and more we need. It doesn't satisfy. And sometimes I think when we read these words of Jesus, we're afraid that he's going to call us away from the false treasures we love. And I can tell you, he will. He will call you away from the thing you don't want to let go of. Because he knows it's not worth holding on to. It's junk at the end of the day if it's ultimate. He wants to call you to something better. He made us. He knows what our hearts were made to love. And so in verse 20 he says, Actually, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Lay up for yourself a treasure that lasts, a treasure that's worth it, that won't disappoint. That's what he's saying. But what does it mean to store up treasure in heaven? I think the Apostle Paul, reflecting on this, helps us out. And in 1 Timothy 6, he writes these words, As for the rich in this present age, by the way, he defines rich as anyone who has food and clothing. So as for those who have food and clothing, 
charged them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What it means to store up treasure in heaven is to use our earthly treasures, not for ourselves selfishly, but generously, so that we actually train our hearts to love what's best. I think of a student I knew uh, in Kenosha when I was over there volunteering with a youth group, and at his high school graduation party, you know, people come, they, they brought gifts, you know, cash gifts, right, to help you out as you're starting college. And I was chatting with him, and he'd just come back from a missions trip to Brazil and saw the incredible work God was doing through a local church we were partnering with. And I'm talking to him about his summer plans and, and whatnot. He says, you know, I'm taking all the money from this graduation party. I'm going to send it to that missionary in Brazil. And right away, my first thought was like, don't do that. That's not practical. It's not wise. You're going to have bills coming up. And like, why would you do that? And thankfully, God stopped me before my mouth opened. And I was able to look at him and say, Man, that is so awesome. I love your generous heart. He wasn't doing it because he felt like he had to. But God just put this burn in his heart to be generous and to give, and he did it joyfully. There's this overflow of the heart. He, he wasn't trying to buy his father's affection or buy his way into heaven. He had rightly said, wait a minute, I'm enjoying God and what God is doing in Brazil. I'm going to treasure that and hold my earthly treasures so loosely so that he could take hold of that which is truly life. Because see, Paul points out in verse 17, it's about where you set your hope. If your hope is set on God instead of riches, you will hold on to everything else so loosely. If you're finding your joy and delight in God, then actually everything else you're so free with. I think of... uh, Think of the psalmist in Psalm 16. David says this, trying to describe just, just these joys. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion. He's, he's my riches and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen from me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. At the end of the psalm, he says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence There's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The psalmist is saying, what's really worth it is enjoying my God. Enjoying him. It's in him that all this joy is found. And it frees him up to live for God. There's someone in our core group that I was chatting with the other day. and They're talking about a big project at work and the pressure of getting it done and and knowing that they're going to have to present to like their boss's boss's boss and just wanting to look good and how that was just really anxiety-driven until they're able to slow down and remind themselves, wait a minute. The God of the whole universe loves me. And he approves of me because of Jesus, regardless of what my bosses think of me. And enjoying that goodness, enjoying the goodness of God is helping them fight that and be free of just to work hard and to do their best. I mean, just think about all the riches we have in Jesus, a father who loves us, 
who forgives our sins, who promises us an inheritance in a world where everything is made right. That is the treasure ahead of us. And so to come back to Jesus' teaching, you can imagine him kind of like in a game show host saying, you can choose behind door number one are treasures that will rot away in front of your eyes. And behind door number two is treasures that will last forever with me. Which do you want to pick? And when you put it that way, it's obvious, right? Like, of course, door number two. I want the treasure that lasts forever. And yet so often we can be tempted to think, Jesus is trying to rob me of my little treasure. And we still miss how much more Jesus is inviting us into. Jesus isn't robbing us, friends. He's inviting us into something better. Just think. Imagine if you treasure up marriage as the best thing. There's going to be points where marriage is hard, where it disappoints, where it doesn't satisfy. Imagine if having a family is your ultimate joy. Well, you know what? Your kids are going to grow up one day. There's going to be moments where your kids say mean things that hurt you. It won't satisfy. Your job... You can get promoted today and fired tomorrow. Your vacation, fleeting, gone. It was so sweet looking forward to it, and then you're back to the grind. Everything that we choose to treasure will not last. We can enjoy them, but if we make them our ultimate treasure, they disappoint us. And hopefully we're nodding yes to this, saying, yes, I want to desire the best thing I think we need to slow down and ask good questions because the global church, when they look at our American church, I think rightly says, you guys have a treasure problem. It's as obvious as anything. We have so much wealth and we hold on to so much of it because we think that the things it provides will satisfy. We find ourselves living more for the American dream than for Seeing and enjoying God and seeing his kingdom go forward. And it's easy, I think, when we do this to look around and say, well, I'm treasuring up less of the world than other people around me. But that's not what Jesus wants to invite us to. Is that still a mindset that says, these treasures behind door one are really, really good. And how can I hold on to as much as I can? When Jesus is saying, don't you get it? It's not how much do you have to give up. It's how much do you get to let go of so you can enjoy Jesus more. Why would you want to settle for less of the good treasure to hold on to a little bit of rotting treasure? It's not how much do you have to. It's how much do you get to let go and enjoy the things that last. That's what Jesus is inviting us to. So this morning, what are you treasuring? I want to give a couple of questions that maybe help us think about this. What do you love most? Do you feel like if you have it, you can't live without it? Or if you could just get that one thing, then life would be good. There's a good chance it might be drifting into becoming your ultimate treasure. What do you spend your time thinking and worrying about often? That might be your treasure. What do you find yourself spending your time and your money on significantly? That might be your treasure. But Jesus says, whatever it is, don't store up that treasure. It won't last. It won't satisfy. And he invites us this morning to choose a different treasure. And this is important, not just because one treasure doesn't satisfy, 
but because actually whatever you choose to treasure will shape you. And that's his second point. Look at verse 21. He, he says, for, here's why it's so important, why you pick the right treasure. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, when we think about the heart, it's really important here to think uh, our culture, when we say the heart, we mean like emotions as opposed to reason, right? Like follow your heart. Your heart means don't do the wise thing. Just do whatever you want. Um, that's not what the, the first century Jewish world thought of as the heart. The heart was like the combination of mind and heart. It's your reason. It's your will. It's your intellect. It's your desires. It's the essential core you. That's what your heart is. And so maybe you've heard the expression, you are what you eat, right? That whatever you eat shapes you, literally. And Jesus is saying, you are what you love. On the one hand, he's saying, you'll know where your heart is by what you practically treasure. But I think he's also saying here that what you practically treasure will shape what your heart loves. Just like if you choose to eat chocolate over vegetables all the time, you will develop an appetite for chocolate instead of vegetables. If you choose to practically store up earthly treasures, you will train your heart to have an appetite for earthly treasures as opposed to heavenly treasures. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And so Jesus says, be careful. It's going to shape you. So imagine with me a scenario of a, a new husband just got married, and he talks about how his treasure is his new wife. But most nights of the week, he's out at playing basketball instead of hanging out with his wife. Every morning, he spends his time watching the sports news instead of having breakfast with her to find out, you know, what's going to happen to his beloved Toronto Raptors championship winning team. Um, and, you know, and then he's always hanging out with the guys. He tells his wife, sorry, honey, we don't have money for dates at all this month, but he's spending money on the cable package to get all the sports games. And you ask him, what do you treasure? And he says, my wife. You'd be like, no, that's not what you treasure, Right? It's obvious by where he spends his time. But he's actually training himself to love his wife less and less and less by doing that too. It's not just that it reveals he doesn't treasure his wife. He's actually not building in himself a rhythm of loving his wife. And Jesus is saying it's the same with us. What we choose to practically treasure will shape us. So I can think of another real-life example uh, still thinking about youth ministry, I knew a couple families where their kids were really gifted at sports. I like sports. Sports is a good thing. But they made that the end-all, be-all of their family. They were almost never at church, never at youth group, because they didn't have time to sports. All their money, all their time, all their energy went to sports. That was the king of their lives. And then when their kids went off to college, they walked away from Jesus. And they said, what happened? I thought we taught them to love Jesus. And I wasn't surprised. Because while they said with their words, love Jesus, everything they did was teaching their kids that sports was at the center. And so then their kids lived it out. They grew to love what they were trained to love. So what are we training ourselves to love? What are we feeding ourselves so we have an appetite for? See, Jesus pulls out another analogy to really bring this home. In verse 22 and 23, he switches from the heart to the eye. And he says, your eye, what you're looking at, what you're fixated on, what you're desiring, 
If that's healthy, if what you're fixed on is healthy and good, then just like a healthy eye brings light into the body, so to speak, then you'll be good. But if your eye is fixed on something that's bad and not good, then just like a a, a malfunctioning eye that cannot see, your body will be full of darkness. That what you train yourself to look at and desire will shape you for good or for ill. And so if you're seeing fruit come out of your life that's not good, Jesus would say it's because you're treasuring the wrong things. Because you've set your eyes on the wrong things, and so darkness is what's coming out. So think with me about something that, like a relationship, a desire for a relationship, not a bad thing. But if it becomes ultimate, you can imagine how it shapes everything. You go into a social situation, and your first thought is, who can I sit next to that will benefit me? Instead of going and saying, who can I minister to and serve? Your heart got out of whack. Or maybe it's a desire for education, not a bad thing. But become so ultimate that actually you don't have time now to serve others. You don't have time to like be involved in your church community because everything's about getting that degree. And suddenly your life is out of whack. Or maybe it's a desire for a certain style of life. And all of a sudden you, you move from have, wanting to have a house to maybe love and serve your neighbors to it's such a prize to you that it's like, well, we can't have big groups of people and they're going to mess up the furniture. What if grape juice gets spilled? What's going to happen? Or things get broken? Or I can't loan my car to this person who needs it. Because what if it gets scratched? I'm holding onto it too tightly and you get out of whack. Things that are meant to be good gifts when they become ultimate, when they come to the center of our lives, make everything else get out of whack. It dethrones love of God and love of neighbor and puts self at the center. But in what it... But take a look at the life of Jesus. The only one who ever perfectly put God at the center and look at the fruit that overflows from his life. Compassion. Healing. Willingness to humble himself, to even be willing to die in the place of people that hate him and want nothing to do with him. That's what comes from a life devoted to treasuring Jesus above all. Whatever you orbit around will shape your life. Now, if you think about orbiting with me, uh, the bigger the object, the greater gravitational pull it has, right? So the sun is a a greater gravitational pull than the earth does because it's bigger. But the moon orbits around the earth, not the sun. Because even though the earth is smaller and has less gravitational pull, because the moon is so much closer to the earth, it's been pulled into the earth's orbit. And you can think of that as what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, be careful what you orbit around. Even though God is bigger and better if we draw too close and put things at the center in a way that's not right, it's like we're drawing so close that we start to orbit around them. And they start to shape the pattern of our lives, just like the moon's orbit is shaped by the gravitational pull of the earth. And so Jesus wants us to ask, what are you drawing near to? What are you fixing your eyes and your heart on? That is shaping your life. Because it will shape it for good or ill. There's no question about it shaping you. The question is how is it shaping you? And that leads to the very last argument. The reason why it matters so much as to what shapes you is because only one thing gets to truly shape you. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
You can have two jobs. You can only have one master if you're a slave. You can pretend to cheer for rival sports teams, but when they play each other, you actually have to pick. And that's what Jesus is saying. We can pretend that we can serve two things, but eventually push will come to shove and they'll bump up against each other and then it will truly be shown who you really love. You can't say you love God and his command to love others and love comfort. They will clash at some point. And then we'll see which one really comes out on top. But often we want to say we can have both. We want to try to have our cake and eat it too. We want to hold on to just enough of our treasure and get the best of Jesus' treasure, thinking, again, that somehow that treasure is really worth holding on to. But Jesus invites us to something else. He invites us to truly treasure only one thing, because it will shape us then in the best way, and it will be worth it. And I think in the U.S., we're particularly prone to this love of comfort, to all the things that money affords us. And then we need to tackle that head on. And I'm so grateful that as I look at many of your lives that I've talked to you, I've seen a willingness to be sacrificial and generous and give and not hold on to treasure. But I think we always need to keep asking the question because we are swimming against the tide when we do that. And it's so easy to, for drift to happen and we get pulled in to the cultural tide. It's easy for us to delude ourselves to thinking we're orbiting around Jesus when practically we're not. So we need to keep asking that question because Jesus says the great command is to love God with all our hearts. Not parts, not even most, but all of our hearts. The mark of a Christian is one who treasures Jesus above all. Now look, we're all going to have days where we are tempted to run after other treasures. We're going to have days where we fall short where we think something else is better than Jesus. And that's why we need to be in community to remind ourselves, actually, it's not worth it. Leave it. Run back to Jesus. He has grace for that. If you're there, he invites you to just come back to enjoying him. And he won't slap you upside the head. He won't say, I told you so. He welcomes us back and says, yes, I sent my son Jesus to die for your failure to love the right things. And so there are open arms waiting for you. There's grace for you. Run back to me. Treasure me. But if you find yourself this morning with no desire at all to treasure Jesus above all, that is a really dangerous place to be. Because Jesus says, eventually, if you devote yourself to another treasure, you will come to hate God. You'll come to hate and resent him for him trying to always call you away from your treasure. And for those that hate and despise God, the only place you end up going is a place far from God called hell. That's eternal judgment. But you don't have to be there. This morning he invites us to run to him. And so we come full circle. The call of Jesus this morning is choose the right treasure. Choose the treasure that lasts, that satisfies in God himself. So what are you treasuring this morning? Does it really satisfy? Will it actually last? Is it actually shaping you into the kind of person that you want to be, that God's designed you to be? There's only space for one treasure. 
And so let's lean in and practically choose to treasure the right things by being open-handed with our earthly treasures. So we teach our hearts and give it an appetite for the right treasure. Because the only way to replace the love of a bad treasure is to have a love of a better treasure. I actually think of a, a scene from the movie Lord of the Rings or the book, it's book first, where the Fellowship of the Ring is, is hiding in the woods of the Lothlorien. And as they're leaving, the Alpha Queen, Galadriel, gives them all gifts to help them on their journey. And she comes to the, the dwarf Gimli. And she says, I, I don't know as an, as an elf what to give to a dwarf. So ask me anything and I'll give it to you. And he says, no, 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 I, I don't want to give. She says, no, no, please ask me. She says, okay, I would want just two locks of your beautiful hair to remember your beauty. So she gives it to him and she says, Gimli, I cannot see the future. Everything hangs on the edge of a knife. But if good winds, I foresee that you will come into, into the possession of much gold but over you it shall have no hold. Because Gimli's heart had been captured by a better treasure. Now, I don't recommend having elf queens at the heart of your life, (laughs) but the principle rings true, doesn't it? When your heart is captured on a better treasure, it's easy to let go of other things. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to, not just for our own good, but so that God would look good. Remember, we're called to be a community that's a city on a hill, a light. And so I love how John Piper puts it. He says, we want to ask, what will make Christ look good? Accumulating money and buying vastly more than you need does not make Christ look great. It makes things look great. What if, despite everything else they say about us, people in Madison look at the Vine Church and Eastside Church and say, Man, those people are so generous with their stuff. They love to give because their heart is set on something better. Wouldn't that be a wonderful testimony in our city for the glory of God? That's what Jesus is inviting us to this morning. And so if you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I would just encourage you to consider the great treasure that Jesus is. He laid down his life to offer you true life. And if you don't really know what that means, I'd love to talk with you after the service more about that. Probably a lot of other people would too. But if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I just invite you to do some diagnosis on your heart. What is your heart loving? And whatever it is, if it's not Jesus, to humbly ask God, would you give me a greater hunger for you, Jesus? And then practically, whatever the Holy Spirit might be knocking on your heart to let go of, step out in obedience. Let go of your earthly treasures and train your heart to love that which matters most. For God's glory, your good, but also the good of others. You will never regret it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that your love for us is so rich and great that you gave your only son for us. How vast a treasure we have in Jesus. So forgive us, Father, for running after lesser treasures. And this morning, would you tune our hearts to pursue you, to be known to be those who are generous because we are holding on to the treasure which is truly life. For it's in your name, amen.